All right, let's get on with the the lesson that we have before us. It was read for us here in in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, where the, the writer of Hebrews is speaking to us about the help that Christians need in the midst of suffering to not give up. Uh, it is a hopeful sermon that this uh, author gives if with Christians who are going through hard times. They're not going through difficulties to the point of death, but for their faith, they're experiencing a lot of difficulty. And the great purpose that the writer has is for us to have a greater vision of Jesus because the more we know Him, the easier it is for us to endure and the easier it is for us to maintain our faith through those difficult times. If you remember, we saw something stunning last week in verses 10 through 13. We saw this amazing declaration that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers, that we are sons of God, that we are in the same family of God with him. It is hard to wrap our minds around that and it's hard to appreciate the status and the relationship that we enjoy with the Father and with the Son. I submit to you our text this morning is going to be just as jarring as last week's lesson was in thinking about the kind of relationship that we have because that is the help that we need. What Jesus has done for us makes it possible for us to endure and give us the help that we need. You'll notice verse 14 then of Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. This is an important beginning point that the writer of Hebrews has for us. He says, okay, Jesus had to become human. And what is fascinating about the start point is the Son had to become human so that He could die. Did you get that in, in verse 14 there? He partook of the same things that through death. He had to become human so that he could die. Because interestingly, the writer of Hebrews is making the point, it's through death that he is able to destroy the power that Satan has over death. It's an interesting visual that's given to us. He had to become human so that he could die. Because his death is the only way to nullify the power that the devil has over death. that work? It's an interesting picture that's given to us. This is why he becomes flesh and blood. Is that this is the only way to be able to undo it. This again is another picture of the power of the cross. In short, the prescription to defeat the power of Satan, to nullify the power that he has over death, is the cross. That the Son becomes human and accomplishes the will of God by dying for us. That is the only way it could be nullified. There, there's no other way. And that leads to, to a, an important result. It says in verse 15, to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery for surely it is not angels that he helps 
but he helps the offspring of Abraham. There is a result that comes from this. He becomes human so that he can nullify the power that the devil has over death. And so through his death, he nullifies it. Well, what exactly is that supposed to do for us? In verse 15, he says, to deliver all those who through fear of death are subject to lifelong slavery. I think for the longest time I've read that and I never really grasped exactly what that was getting at. Through fear of death, they're enslaved to this fear of death. And I suppose if you think about it for a minute, what is really the greatest fear that humans have? If you really boil down, what is the greatest question that humans typically have? And I'm not even sure you would say the fear of dying is actually it so much as what happens after that? What's on the other side of this? In fact, I think that's a lot of the pain. If you were to think about when a loved one passes away, that's often where that pain really generates out of is... And what's happening after that? This fear of death that all humans essentially are enslaved to. And ultimately the problem is is this. Once we physically die, there's no way to change the outcome. That's it. What's done is done. The life you've lived is the life you've lived And now based on the deeds that are done in the body, we must all stand before the judgment seat of God. That's a weighty thing. And left to ourselves and left to our own deeds and left to our own works, how do you feel that's going to go for all of us? And we all get to stand there and we say, okay, here's here's how I did with my righteousness. How's that going to look? Not looking good. It's a, it's a bad idea. And that's the whole problem that we have is here is the certainty of physical death which leads to another certainty. We are certainly worthy of being separated from God for eternity because there is none who is righteous as Sanford pointed out to us in the Lord's Supper talk. None of us can stand before God and say, alright, here's the law. Nailed it. You know, we've just been nailing it. You know, everything that God ever said, no problem at all. I mean, I I don't know when you have the people who do come to Jesus and Jesus tells them to do what's in the law. and They say, yeah, I've been doing that from birth. How Jesus is not falling down laughing at them going, yeah, right. You are so self-deluded. You are so wrong. That's not even close to true. But you think in your mind... You're a good moral person who's been doing a really good job. No, you're not. The Bible's purpose is to show you over and over again, you're doing a terrible job at it. You're awful at it. That's why Jesus had to come. If you were doing such a great job, why'd He come? Unfortunately, we forget that. And so we sit then in fear of lifelong slavery. But the thing is that the cross takes away that problem. Ultimately, the cross takes away the problem. There is no longer a need for fear of death because the outcome does not have to be condemnation, but now allows there to be a certain blessing. 
There is this massive reversal that has occurred through the death of Jesus. He has come to help those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The outcome was awful for us once we died. But because Jesus dies, now that outcome is not fearful. And that's the hope we have at funerals. That's what changes everything when we start talking about death. Now, the fear of suffering and serving God and what can man do to me? No problem. Certainty of blessing, not certainty of judgment. Not certainly of condemnation. So the beauty of what the Scriptures are trying to show us is there's not slavery, but liberation for your life. You know a certain blessing lies ahead of you rather than fear of condemnation for your life. It is ultimately what the big point was that the Apostle Paul was getting at in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54, when he talks about this. Here the Apostle Paul says, When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Death, you have nothing. The the power of death has been defeated. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. See, that's the problem. We die and the outcome should have been certain condemnation. But Jesus has come to help. In fact, notice what this means according to the Apostle Paul. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What's that supposed to do for us? Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Notice the defeat of of the sting of death and sin is supposed to cause us to rejoice. When we die physically, that's not a problem. That's just not a problem. There is nothing to fear. There is nothing to be concerned about. This is the hope that is being given to us. This is what Jesus is doing in Revelation 1 and verse 17. Here is John, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me and said, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and have the keys of death and Hades. You have nothing to fear. I have power over that. I'm holding the keys right here. No fear of death. We even have songs that say that. I love those songs. No fear of death. We're fine. It's no worry about what happens next when you're in Christ. There's no worry about now what will happen after that when we're in Christ. This is the thing that Jesus has come to do is He has come to solve that problem. That death now will not separate us from the love of God. It does not intimidate us. It does not frighten us because there is not a punishment to be received. I love Romans 8 verse 1. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the hope that we have. This is the help that we have. This, this word for help that we're going to that we see see here in this in this chapter is a really neat word and help is the right translation there's no other real way to translate it but it's a word that is used in terms of 
When Israel, back in when we've been studying the Exodus, we're studying the wilderness. It is a picture of God taking Israel by the hand and leading them in. It's that kind of help like how a parent grabs the hand of a child and, and, and carries them along. And that's the idea of the help here is that when it comes to this, here we have Jesus as our trailblazer who has led the way. Here is our pioneer that we saw in chapter 2 who takes us by the hand and brings us to the promised land, who brings us into eternity. He gives us the help that we need. He takes us along and carries us through. It's a beautiful picture of the hope that we have that we're able now to serve the Lord without fear of what can happen to the body, which is what you see the Apostle Paul talking about, like in 2 Corinthians and the writer of Hebrews at the end of this is going to say the very same thing that what can man do to me? You know, what, what can people do? I have this great hope that is found. So that's reason one. But watch now how reason two of why he became human becomes one of the biggest pictures of help and hope as well. Not only does he defeat the the power that the devil has over death, but then notice in verse 17. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Interesting imagery here. Okay. Jesus is to be a merciful and faithful high priest. High priest imagery will be a big idea in the book of Hebrews. But he puts his finger on it here first and says... If you're to be a true high priest, you have to be able to relate to the group to which you are representing. You're not a very good mediator if you have no basis of experience or contact with those you represent. That's just kind of a simple, basic idea. And so the point that's being made in verse 17, he had to become human like his brothers in every respect to be the priest that we need. Now, the thing that I think we have a hard time with in thinking about this is thinking about Jesus in a way that captures what this is saying. I think that's really hard for us. Just as it is hard for us to hear the writer of Hebrews say, he's not ashamed to call us brothers. Here is the status and relationship that you enjoy in Christ. To think about this picture, that he can represent us before God as a high priest because he has experienced life as we experienced it. He has come into contact with it. He does not that he doesn't understand or doesn't know what is going on. He takes this humanity so that he can fully represent us before God. And he is able to understand. And I don't know that we always think of him in that way. I don't know that we always do that in thinking about him as one who can stand before us in that way. 
the reason why I say that is because I think we just have the tendency in our picture of the Son that we make Him so divine, and that is right, that we almost nullify this aspect of Him becoming human on our behalf. That we still will put God in a position that, well, God doesn't understand. He doesn't understand. He doesn't know what I'm going through. He doesn't understand my life. He doesn't understand anything. Sometimes we put God in that box. And notice that the point that the writer of Hebrews is making is, no, the Son is able to help because He was made like His brothers. Remember, we're brothers together last week's lesson. He's made like us in every respect or all things. I I just want you to like underline, highlight, and circle every respect, all things. Because I think that's our hard part with that. Sometimes we have this idea that, well, he kind of came and it's kind of like he halfway was human, but he was God through all of that and doesn't really understand truly the idea of humanity. But notice the point even in verse 18 that emphasizes it. For because he himself suffered when tempted. And I've I've told you that word tempted in the New Testament, when you see it like in James and you see it here, New Revised Standard uses tested. It's the same idea. Tempted and tested are the same Greek word. Your your Bible will use one or the other English word. It's, it's the same word for both. So if you're tempted, you're tested. If you're tested, you're tempted. Very true. Uh, he suffered when he was tested and tempted. He experienced that. And we cannot allow our high view of Jesus, which we ought to have, and I'm not undermining that in the slightest, to cause us to undermine the fact that He was like us in every respect, as the writer of Hebrews says. There have been a lot of heresies and false teachings that have been historical around that. Gnosticism came up even dealing with this problem. One of the earliest false teachings in trying to deal with the problem of how do you have the Son, here you have God become human. And so Gnosticism was, well, he seemed to be human, but he really wasn't. <laughs> and the writer of Hebrews doesn't allow that. And unfortunately what happens is people try to make arguments and try to explain, well, here's how he was God and how he was human. Don't ever walk there. God doesn't explain that. Here's what he wants you to know. He is divine. He is God. And he was tempted and tested and like us in every respect. That's what we have to appreciate. This is how he can be able to be the faithful high priest. Uh, Friends, otherwise he is unable to sympathize with us. He is unable to give us the help that we need if he does not experience life in the way that, that we experience it. And I think it's important that we do not deny His humanity and all that He experienced and all that He went through, that He was fully human while still God. He's both. Because this is the writer, what the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand is the importance 
of recognizing that he is the high priest that you need. When you suffer, when you are tempted, and when you go through trials, he's able to understand. It would be of no value to us if he looks down upon us and goes, yeah, that looks hard. Hope you guys make it. Uh, For me, an example of that would be, you know, I can have all of the sympathy and sorrow for my wife about childbirth. I don't know what that's like. (laughs) It's of no value for God to not have human experiences. He could just look and go, yep, that looks tough. That's all I do. Sorry, honey, that's bad. Now, God has to become human if he's going to be the faithful high priest that we need. I think what is hard for me, and I presume it is hard for you, But realize that Jesus does not appear on the scene as a human and comes into the incarnation at 30 years old, lives three years, and dies and goes, there you go. He did live life as a child. He was a teenager. He was an adult. He did manual labor. He got sick. He got hurt. He suffered loss. I've always, I, I can't prove this, but I find it fascinating that we don't see Joseph any longer in the Scriptures. That's my guess. He died somewhere along the way. He experienced life as we experienced it. He dealt with friends. He dealt with people. He dealt with what life has to offer. He knows what it means to be human. That is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. This is why he did this. He did this one because the way to defeat death was to die. And he did this so that he can fully understand what you go through as a human. He understands trials. He understands temptations. He understands what those difficulties are like. He knows what life looks like. This is the benefit of him not growing up in a king's house with a silver spoon in his mouth that we'd all go, well, he doesn't understand. He was a multimillionaire. He lived a normal life like everybody else. I love that Isaiah says... There was nothing about him that you would have said, well, there's, there's, there's God right there. Nothing about him in his appearance that you would have valued him or esteemed him, even though every painting has the sun shining down on him and a halo on his head. That's not how it went. He lived life and just walked around and belonged into the community. We're serving someone who understands the situation. He understands what life is like. We must drive that into our minds and our hearts. Hold the high value of Jesus as divine, as God, as Son of God, absolutely. 
But do not denigrate His human experiences. He did that for us. So that He can relate to us as a faithful high priest. He can know what we're going through. That's why He did it. This will sound a little bit weird, but... You're used to that by now, right? Uh, One of the neat things about the Holy Land experience in Orlando, it's very weird to me, but it's it's neat in this way. They they have an actor that goes around portraying Jesus. And that's weird, because we don't know what he looked like, and of course it fits every Renaissance painting there ever was about him, because clearly the Renaissance people knew what he looked like. Um, (laughs) But... Here's why I like it. Because they don't have him set up in a booth where you make an appointment to go. He just walks around the place. And the reason I like that is because it gives me this visual. That's what it was like. He just walked around Galilee. And he just went to the other side. And was on the east side of the Jordan. And he's in Judea. And he's in Jerusalem. And he's walking around. And people just walk up to him. And touch him. It was hilarious when I took the high schoolers. Micah went up to him and gave him a hug. People were doing that in the first century. He wasn't so off limits. You just walked up to him. We miss that in our minds sometimes. He just was there. And he did that so that he could be experiencing everything that we experience. We had like this massive downpour in the late afternoon. There's the actor running out of the rain. That would have happened. He would have been like everybody else. It's burning hot and he's sweating. That would have been like him. Everybody, he experienced humanity. And he did that with a reason. You think about how degrading that had to be. I think that's part of the greatest sacrifice that he ultimately experiences is becoming human on our behalf. He didn't have to touch any of this weakness that we experience and frailty of what humanity is all about. He chose to do that. He became human. So you don't have the fear of death. And you don't fear coming to Him as a high priest. You don't have to fear coming to God. He knows what your weaknesses are and understands. He understands your suffering. He understands your rejection. He understands your trials. He understands your temptations. Later, the writer of Hebrews is going to say, He's tested in all points yet without sin. He's been there. He went through it. The writer of Hebrews does not want you to to denigrate that humanity in the slightest. He did that for us. Because notice the picture that's given to us in verse 17. Notice it is not that he is an angry and insensitive high priest. Merciful. Why can he be merciful? He understands. He knows exactly what you've gone through. And it can intercede on your behalf to the Father. That's the whole point of why He came. 
That's the hope of what all that is about, which leads me to the big obvious conclusion that we will state over and over again in the book of Hebrews. So don't give up. Don't give up your faith. Don't give up on this walk with God. Don't give up in the face of your weaknesses. Don't give up in the face of trials. Don't give up when temptations get you again and again. You have a merciful and faithful high priest. Not someone who does not understand. He understands. And that's why he perfectly fulfills the role to stand between us and the Father. That's why he did it. The moment you feel like you need to give up, the moment you feel like life is caved in, the moment you think things are too hard, do not ever think that your God does not understand. He does. To the point that He died in the worst way possible. To experience even death for us. He knows. He understands. He cares. Don't give up. That's what the writer of Hebrews wants you to see that Jesus is the help you need. Jesus is the help you need. Others may not be able to help, He can. He can absolutely help you in whatever you're experiencing today. And the biggest reason he came was so that you would not have to stand before the Lord condemned. So that you, with all of your sins, with all of your weaknesses, can be forgiven through the blood of Christ and stand before God with an intercessor who pleads on your behalf, who understands your situation, and makes intercession for you. What a beautiful thing we have. That we have such a great, merciful, and faithful high priest. I beg you to come to Jesus today. Turn away from your sins. Decide to follow Jesus with all of your heart. And understand who you are coming to. You are coming to someone who understands. Who is not so lofty. Who is not so distant. But chose to come down and walk this earth. So that he could help you come to glory. If you haven't been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, today is the day. Won't you come and do that now while we stand and while we